0: everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Sharing Sweat Equity, a business podcast. We are in the Sun Carpets recording studio at our MWEDC Global Training Center. We want to thank our proud partners Epicenter. That is where we have our location at. And if you are interested in looking for some commercial real estate in El Paso, I recommend you give them a call. Today, we're going to be talking economics of the border. So the border has been on the news for the past several months talking about delays at the ports of entry and then possible tariffs. So El Paso has really been um, in the spotlight recently and we want to look at Economically, what are things like delays at the ports of entry, what could tariffs possibly do to the border economy, and how that border economy affects the rest of the country. So I am very excited to have one of our board members in studio with me today, Mr. Roberto Coronado. He oversees the law enforcement functions and economic education programs across all of the 11th Federal Reserve District. He also has oversight for the El Paso Branch, the bank's economic research and outreach functions in all of West Texas, Southern New Mexico, and he also recruits branch board members. Mr. Coronado is a senior economist and member of the regional group of the bank's research department. In that capacity, he provides regional input into the Dallas Fed's monetary policy processes and is responsible for monitoring and tracking economic and business activity in West Texas and Southern New Mexico. His research focuses on issues pertaining to the Mexican economy, U.S.-Mexico economic integration, and border issues. He has served as the director of the Texas Lycum, board member of the El Paso Collaborative for Academic Excellence. His favorite position, of course, is board member of the El Paso Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> <laughs> he has obtained his Ph.D. in economics from the University of Houston and holds a BBA in accounting and economics and an M.S., in economics from the University of Texas at El Paso. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you are super busy traveling all over New Mexico, Texas, um, so I'm glad that we are able to get you in studio today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's go ahead and get started. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about the US-Mexico relationship?
1: Yes, so this is a very important relationship for the United States. And uh, I would classify our relationship with Mexico on two, I would use two qualifiers for it. I would say that the relationship is both uh, deep and unique. And by deep, what I mean is that the volume of trade that we engage with Mexico is uh, very, very big. We're talking about billions of dollars. And in fact, if you were to put a number to it, it's about $1 million per minute. 24-7, that's the amount of goods and services that cross the border, north and south, every, every single minute. And so, definitely, it's very important, it's very deep, and it's uh, when you look into the industries, it's pretty much uh, across the board. And so, that's very important for our businesses in the United States. The other thing, too, is that it is very unique. And what I mean by unique is that the relationship we have with Mexico, unlike other trading partners, it's uh, through uh, intermediate goods. Basically, this is a supply chains that we have established over the last number of years in which companies and businesses send stuff back and forth a number of times, different stages of production. Mm -hmm. And that in turn creates a lot of business and a lot of uh, manufacturing opportunities in North America. Just to give you an idea, you know, over 70% of the imports that we bring from Mexico are intermediate goods. And when you think about for every one dollar that we import from Mexico, roughly speaking, it's about 40 cents of U.S. content. When you think about uh, uh, China, for example, which is, again, another very important trade relationship for the United States, it's only four cents per dollar uh, on on U.S. content. So clearly the China relationship is predominantly a final goods type of relationship, whereas Mexico is more of an intermediate goods uh, relationship, which, again, makes it very unique.
0: And I think that it's it's very unique because we do have the NAFTA trade agreement currently in place, which has really facilitated that kind of unique trading partnership that we do have. So with goods going back and forth across the border, what is the role of border towns like El Paso in the binational relationship?
1: So, of course, I mean, the, the, the traditional board uh, role, I'm sorry, that the most people associate border communities like El Paso, which it's pretty much true to this date, is that at the end of the day, this is, you know, ground zero. This is where trucks, this is where cargo, this is where goods either go south or go north, uh, depending on which direction they're heading. And clearly, that's a very important role. So because of that, we have a very important uh, trade, transportation, logistics footprint in El Paso, but the same would be true of cities like McAllen, cities like Nogales. Uh, And so that continues to be an important role. But I believe it goes beyond that. Because of NAFTA, what we've seen is that we've seen a lot of integration, again, in the supply chain. And so that has provided opportunities for cities like El Paso to go beyond the the traditional transportation, warehousing, and logistics, but to actually provide a lot of business services into cross-border manufacturing, cross-border trade. So when you think about... The, the sister city model in which in Ciudad Juarez you would have the bulk of the manufacturing and the bulk of the production. Uh, what we have in El Paso is pretty much a service-oriented economy, and here we have a lot of services that are tied to, again, this cross-border trade, cross, cross-border manufacturing services such as accounting, staffing, uh, real estate, finance, insurance, uh, custom brokers. So you have uh, uh, IT professionals that are based in El Paso. But are here to provide again business services to these corporations that have a footprint in northern mexico and so that's a very important role and that's a role that we often ignore and that has allowed border communities like el paso to really take advantage of its geographic location and the business activity that takes place in northern mexico when it comes to manufacturing and we've seen substantial improvements when when we think about income levels wage levels again because we've been transitioning away from a manufacturing based economy in el paso Mm -hmm. to a very heavy service oriented economy and that has been a nice transition for a community like el paso
0: so with el paso playing such a key role in trade between the us and mexico with all of these delays at ports of entry and i mean we've been seeing delays as long as 16 hours people sleeping in their trucks their vehicles um, on the on the uh, the business side, but also on the consumer commuter side, you also see lawn delays. Eight hours waiting at the border crossing stations. Um, people aren't able to get across from Mexico. People who are U.S. citizens but live in Mexico and vice versa are not able to get across to actually make it to work. So what has the economic impact been to the El Paso region because of these lawn delays at ports of entry And how is this potentially going to impact El Paso's current growth rate?
1: So the impact, I would say, I mean, uh, I think there's no doubt that the impact is a negative impact. Uh, The the moment you slow down trade, the moment you slow down traffic, whether it's commercial or uh, individuals, you know, uh, uh, that, that definitely has a negative impact. The big question is, what's the price tag? And that's the question that's still out there. And we don't know. We don't have a good sense. It will take some time for us to figure that out. But let me maybe perhaps give you a little bit of background for those who are listening on the podcast as to why we are where we are now. If you think about we've seen a significant growth in the flow of migrants, especially uh, individuals from Central America coming to the United States to seek uh, uh, asylum asylum seekers. And that has put a lot of uh, 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 chalk point for authorities in the United States, and they've been redeploying. Authorities from the commercial ports of entry into processing some of these asylum seekers and that's what that's what created the significant delays And so you're absolutely right. I mean the, on average before all of this For a truck they would take I don't know somewhere between two to four hours to cross and so for a particular truck driver It was very common that in a given day in a an you know, eight nine hour shift he or she would cross twice a year uh, twice a day uh, to move stuff back and forth uh, with the wait, with uh, with less resources being deployed at the border, less agents, we saw the wait times uh, increase dramatically to the magnitude that you alluded to, 12 to 18 hours. And so what does that mean? It means a lot of things, right? It means that definitely when you think about North America's supply chain, it was built for just-in-time inventory. And when you have those significant delays, of course, the just-in-time, you just... Strike it out. There's no just-in-time processing when you have those wait times and so put a lot of strain on on manufacturing companies, put a lot of strain on on, um, uh, suppliers to manufacturing, Uh, transportation costs according to our context tripled Mm -hmm. because now you actually have to have two drivers sitting on a truck uh, to be able to cross the product. Uh, and so, it, it created a lot of significant pain points for companies, whether it's transportation, whether it's in manufacturing. And so, luckily, we've seen those wait times reduce. I, I don't know if we're back to normal, but close to normal, according to our contacts, it's taking between three to five hours now, which is more normal times. So, definitely put a significant stress into manufacturing. That's on the commercial side, on the passenger, on the personal side. To your point, there's a number of folks who live on one side of the border but work on the other side. There's a number of folks who live in Juarez and come to school in El Paso or vice versa. And there's a lot of retail activity. You know, when we think about our retail sector in El Paso, based on our research at the Dallas Fed, you know, one in eight dollars spent in retail in El Paso could be attributed to the Mexican shopper. So, if you increase those wait times significantly, which is what we've observed, of course, that discourages people to cross. And that creates a negative impact for businesses, small businesses, retail businesses, restaurants uh, in El Paso. And we've seen that. Uh, I think things have improved somewhat, but wait times continue to be elevated uh, to this date.
0: So, I think that one of the things that people, when we talk about cross-border trade, one of the ways that people average, everyday consumers experience increases in cost. the ways that they can feel it in their pocketbooks almost immediately is when they're in the grocery store. Yes. So with those delays at the border, if you're imagining a truck waiting 12 to 18 hours to cross, you've got produce, what effect does that have on the agricultural industry?
1: It has a big effect because a lot of So, each port of entry has a different composition of goods that they cross through that particular port of entry. In El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, the bulk of the goods that cross north and south are manufacturing goods. And so, therefore, are uh, more resistant to longer wait times, but still, there's the impact there. But there's other ports of entry in the Rio Grande Valley, for example, or in the Nogales region, in which the significant portion portion of the trade is produce, is perishable goods, and definitely, We've heard stories that by the time the truck crosses into the U.S., the, the, the stuff that is on, on the back is no longer usable, is no longer good for business. So there's significant losses that can come with these wait times as well. And those, to your point, will definitely translate into higher prices for the consumer. Uh, and, uh, and so definitely has not only an impact for that particular business, but for the consumer as well.
0: So we you mentioned um, my next question was going to be that there were some additional CBP agents deployed at the ports of entry. So wait times have improved, but even though wait times have improved recently, the effects that that period of time where those wait wait times were so long, those effects are going to be felt for a long time. So what are the long term potential effects of of what happened at the ports of entry?
1: So so to the extent that the wait times continue to become to be an issue going forward. Uh, definitely it could have uh, long-term implications so, so one of the things that we kept hearing from our business context is that if you're a supplier into manufacturing there's specific clauses in your contracts with your customers that you have to deliver product by X today and next uh, uh, during this uh, X window of time and if you are late there's hefty penalties and of course if you're a small supplier And this continues to be an issue, and you're not able to deliver your product on time, those penalties can rise and be substantial. And we were afraid that maybe some companies would need to be declared, uh, we need to go into bankruptcy. So far, we have not seen any of that. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that wait times continue to be our problem, it can create those issues. And then to the extent that they continue, wait times continue into a more longer term, then companies will have to sit down and evaluate if their supply chains, the way they're established, are optimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hopeful that we are not going to get there, but to the extent this linger, of course, then business, uh, business leaders will have to make decisions, see if the footprint the way they have it today continues to be optimal based on the new circumstances of, the, of wait times and, and delays at the ports of entry. So I'm hopeful we're not going to get there. It looks like we have mm-hmm. have received some relief And I'm hopeful that we continue to be there because, yeah, to your point, we've seen a massive flow of agents from the interior, even uh, agents from TSA uh, have come into the border to help relieve some of the bottlenecks that we've seen. So I'm hopeful that we'll continue to see that relieved, so that it doesn't have a a very much long-term impact to businesses.
0: So when we first discussed doing this podcast, we were also in the middle of potential tariffs against Mexican products that were coming over to the U.S., Thankfully, there has been a resolution to that issue, but the threat of tariffs still kind of hangs in the air, potentially, depending on how Mexico reacts to the migrant crisis and their ability to adhere to the agreement made with the US. So let's play this out. If there was a 5% tariff um, put on goods coming over the border, what would that do to businesses? What would that do to consumers? And then take that a step further, and what would a 25% tariff do to people?
1: Correct. So if I go back to my earlier comments, you know, the relationship with Mexico is different, say, than China. And I know that there have been tariffs imposed on Chinese imports. So anytime you think about a tariff, what it boils down to is that that will definitely result in higher prices for the consumer. And it will depend on how much you know the, the producer can absorb and then how much you will have to pass through to the consumer. And it depends on the product and depends on the industry and competition, a number of different factors. But no doubt that the, the consumer will feel the pain. Okay. And that regardless of which uh, tariffs you impose to which country, that's what I mean. Now, when you think about the Mexico commerce, the Mexico trade not only are you going to be putting an uh, additional price tag to U.S. consumers, you're going to be actually putting businesses in the U.S. at a disadvantage because now they will have to pay higher prices, again, to have those supply chains established with in North America with Mexico. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not only that you're impacting the consumer, but that you are impacting businesses in North America and the U.S. And ultimately, what our research indicates is that this integrated supply chains that we have established since NAFTA, since the mid-90s, have allowed a lot of companies and a lot of industries in the U.S. to remain competitive and actually gain competitiveness vis-a-vis other countries in the world. And so that is also putting in jeopardy some of that you know, high level of competition that many of these industries have in the world. And so it has far more uh, significant implications for the U.S., uh, we were so relieved. I was so relieved particularly when we heard that those tariffs have been tabled uh, But to your question, I mean for El Paso for Texas No doubt those have would have significant negative impacts uh, I don't think I'm able to put a dollar amount to it but when you see the volumes and the billions of exports and imports that we send back and forth to Mexico Texas, just to give you an idea, is the largest extra, uh, exporting state in the nation, mm-hmm. and about 40% of our exports go to Mexico. And so clearly, putting that significant tariff, whether it's 5 10 15 all the way to 25%, it could create a significant negative damage to businesses and the consumers in the U.S.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of consumers, um, they don't fully understand – how many products we actually touch that are imported from Mexico or that make their way back and forth across the border. Um, like you mentioned, that unique kind of trading relationship that we have with Mexico. So for example, when you know this threat of tariffs was coming down, the big concern, all of the articles were about beer prices were going to go up. And all of my friends were Avocados. saying, like, yeah, yeah absolutely, all of my yeah. friends were like, you know what? I drink American beer. I don't drink Mexican beer, so I'll be fine. It's not going to affect me. But what are the industries that are actually going to be, would be affected by a tariff? Uh, just to give people an idea of the kinds of products that they purchase every day that would actually see an increase in costs, potentially.
1: Correct. So when you think about the U.S.-Mexico trade, like I said, it's, it's broad-based. Uh, definitely, the, the industry that probably would be impacted the most would be the automotive industry. You know, roughly about a fourth of the U.S.-Mexico trade is in the automotive sector. Uh, and it's not only about final assembled vehicles that you would go to a dealership in the Midwest and buy and would probably be assembled in Mexico. So that will have a higher right. price, but it's also auto parts. Uh, and so that, that would say that's the, the sector probably will be hit the hardest. Uh, but then you have a lot of electrical components, electrical machinery. You have a lot of produce. You have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, food processing. You have chemicals. You have uh, uh, in the energy sector, you know, petrochemical. So you have a wealth of sectors that will be affected by if you were to impo- impose tariffs and uh, i i think it's uh, to your point i mean it's uh, we often forget uh, as u.s consumers how much we depend on the globe mm-hmm. uh when it comes to the basket of goods and sometimes services that we consume and it's a very interdependent uh, uh world that we live in and so the moment you start putting some of these barriers to trade uh you would start feeling that we will start feeling that uh and so it's, uh, yeah, to your point, yeah, it's, it's a broad-based and, uh, and that was the, the spirit of uh, the policy that the U.S. was trying to establish. It was a 5% across the board. And so uh, definitely we'll have a, a broad reach when it comes to affecting consumers in the U.S.
0: So we're looking at, right now we're discussing Mexican tariffs and the potential of if those were imposed, the effect that that would have in the short term, what consumers and businesses could see but we also have some tariffs against chinese goods that have been in place for a while and let's say that we did in um, levy a tariff on mexican imports what would be the long-term economic economic effects of these tariffs not just on not just on the country as a whole but specifically border communities like el paso where trade is really so important to our economy
1: so to the extent that you were to have that and, and would persist for a long term, I think at that point in businesses, like I mentioned before, businesses will have to come to the realization that whether or not the footprint and the logistical structure and manufacturing and production structure that they have globally, uh, whether that makes sense or not, given the new environment. Uh, and to the extent that we were to impose tariffs on specific or strategic partners to the U.S. when it comes to manufacturing platforms, definitely you would see a a relocation. You should probably see a relocation of production, Mm -hmm. right? Because all of a sudden perhaps producing in country A, say Mexico or China or any other country you can think of, may not be the most suitable, may not be the most effective and efficient way to do business, and therefore, you'll have to recalibrate that. Now, having said that, that those type of adjustments and those type of relocation of production do not happen overnight, do not happen within the next six months or a year. But to the extent tariffs were to persist for the long run, then businesses will have to do something. Otherwise, they will not be able to remain competitive. Uh, in the short run, there's maybe businesses can do something, you know, uh, move things around here and there. We as consumers will have to do that. If you were used to consume product A, all of a sudden prices goes up. You go and try to consume the best uh, comparable product. Right. Alter- <laughs> but again, in the long run, there will there could be substantial implications for an economy like the U.S., which is very global and very interdependent, especially because the U.S. economy is a consumer based economy.
0: So, as businesses are watching the news, as they're looking at what's going on, and they're saying, you know, we got really close to having these tariffs implemented. I've got to start coming up with some kind of a strategic plan in case these tariffs come back around again. How can I insulate myself against the potentially negative effects of these tariffs?
1: Absolutely. So when you think about uh, especially the the last few weeks when we had conversations as, as far as tariffs imposed to Mexico, uh, we've had a lot of uncertainty as far as the U.S.-Mexico relationship for the last two, two and a half years. A lot of that uncertainty got removed once we got an agreement in principle, which is the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA. And so businesses were starting to feel a lot better, a lot more clarity, less uncertainty. There's still uncertainty because of the Chinese uh, conversations as far as the US-China relationship, but uncertainty within, say, border communities like El Paso mm-hmm. and Ciudad Juarez, that uncertainty was removed to a big extent. Once you put tariffs back on the table, then all of a sudden, do you start getting second thoughts from business leaders. And we start hearing, well, should I keep investing? Should I wait? Mm-hmm. And so that creates a chilling effect. And that's what we've been hearing from our local contacts. So, that will have an ultimate impact to the El Paso economy because, again, a lot of the growth and a lot of the economic activity that we see in El Paso, it's because of the cross-border trade, cross-border manufacturing. So to the extent you put policy into place that creates uncertainty, this uh, does not create the incentives to for businesses to invest in this part of the world, mm-hmm. you will see a negative economic impact to our growth and our potential. No doubt about it.
0: So just in closing, some people are economics nerds they are out there um, and some people we like them by the way <laughs> I have a couple of friends who I think you would get along with very well. Um, and then of course some people are looking at the effects that this have had that these sorts of delays and these potential tariffs have had. So what are some resources that people, who are into the economics of things, who are looking and monitoring these issues, where can they go to get some more information?
1: So, uh, of course, I'll uh, shamelessly here, I will put uh, uh, an advertisement for the Fed. So we at the Dallas Fed, we've spent for a number of years now, I would say a couple of decades at least, uh, quite a bit of time trying to understand, trying to study uh, the U.S.-Mexico, the Texas-Mexico relationship. So I would encourage listeners to go to our website, DallasFed.org, there's a number of resources there when you want to talk about the trade volumes and impact and economic integration. There are a number of other uh, institutions and uh, that produce very good quality work. At the University of Texas at El Paso at the Department of Economics, they have a number of faculty members that do a lot of work uh, along these lines. Uh, and then there's a couple of national think tanks that we often check, that I often check for their analysis. You know, we have the the Wilson Center at the Mexico Institute. They produce a lot of great work on NAFTA, or sort of North America and trade in North America. And then also the Council of Foreign Relations. I mean, these are scholars who really take a lot of time to deep dive into these questions and have uh, different perspectives from the ones we have at the Dallas Fed, which I think it's always good to, to, to read and, and hear different perspectives.
0: And we'll make sure to include links for all of these resources in the episode description well thank you so much for joining us today it was really great to have you here we've been wanting to have this conversation for a while some of the things have changed from when we first discussed it to now and um so i know that you're going to be getting ready to travel again very soon so safe travels and we'll have to have you back in again when things change all over again
1: (laughs) we'd love to be back but uh, thanks for having me today
0: thank you and so we are signing off from the sun carpets podcaster's recording studio here at the MWEDC Global Center. We will see you all next time.